0: Well, I, I pray you've been on, that you've been living on mission this week, that you've been looking out and your context, whether that's work, school, hobbies, and you're looking out, seeing how in the world can God use me in this community? Um, and you, have you had people over to your house this week? Have you loved your neighbor? Um, you know, we are a church that wants you to be outside these walls, loving on this community. So we are glad you're here. My name is, is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here. If this is your first time, we are so thankful you're here as a guest. We have been walking through the book of Matthew since September. We are in chapter 17 this morning, so if you brought your Bible, let's turn there. We have taken a few weeks in January to uh, just to look at what is a healthy church, what is a healthy church member, casting vision for 2019. I was so encouraged last week. Uh, Bruce and Dustin and Courtney, uh, and, uh, it wasn't Courtney, Cassidy came up and talked about and um, Kids Camp this summer. And then we had the interest group last Sunday night. There were over 60 people who came out last night for the interest group. We have over 60 people already said, hey, I'm interested in working with the A.D. Lewis uh, Kids Camp. So, man, I'm overwhelmed. That's, that's incredible. Just to think, like, this summer in July, A.D. Lewis has given us a week. Uh, to, to have a, 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 a kid's camp and, and to think you guys are like, yeah, I want to be in on that. Some of you have already said you're taking vacation. That's living on mission. When you're taking your vacation and you're, and you're doing the work of the Lord, like, man, I just love that. I love this church. I love that you guys want to see this city changed. And, and chapter 17 is, is full of so much hope and, and, and promise and, uh, I love this chapter. If you're going through difficulty right now, if you're just struggling with things in your life, if things aren't like you think they should be, chapter 17 is, I think, gives us a lot of hope and promise to how things should be and will be one day. So let's fix our eyes on uh, Matthew 17. Um, and since we haven't been in Matthew for a few weeks, let me just back up. If you remember in Chapter 16, um, Jesus takes his disciples to a, a very wicked place and, and he asks them a very important question, who do you say that I am? And some, some of them say, well, some think you're Elijah, some think um, you know, you're, you're like another prophet, some say John the Baptist or Jeremiah, and he says, yeah, but who do you say that I am? And, 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 and Peter says, I think you're the Christ. And, and, and Jesus marvels at that. He's like, yes, Peter, you got it right. I am the Christ. I am the Son of the living God. Upon that confession, um, I'm going to build my church. And, and my church, and I love this in, in chapter 16, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. See, we are victorious. We win as the church. Um, God's calling us on a mission. And, and it's great to go on a mission when you know you're going to win, right? Doesn't it make it a lot easier if you're going to go out to battle and you know you're going to win? And so Jesus said, we're going to win. The gates of hell should not prevail against it. So the church should be on the offense. We should be attacking the gates of hell, not, you know, hiding in our own gates, waiting for the enemy to come to us. We're supposed to go out, and that's why we got to be on mission. And so then he goes on, and he, he makes some really hard statements. Uh, in, in chapter 16, he, he says things like, um, forever would save his life, would lose it, but whoever loses life for my sake will, will find it. So basically if you want to find life, you got to lose your life. It can't be about you. you got to give your life up. And when you give your life up, when you give it away, when you give it back to Jesus, then you'll find true life. But when you're seeking it for yourself, you're not going to find life in your own means. So then we come to 17. There's going to be a little bit of movement in verse 1. So in verse 1, he says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And so now I, I need to clarify some things. Um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called synoptic Gospels, meaning, meaning that they're very similar. John's a lot different. Um, John has some of the same stories, but sometimes when you're reading Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you may be thinking, I think I just read that. And you're like, that's because you did, but it's from a different perspective. So it's three men telling it from a different perspective. And so here in verse 1, we see that Matthew's account says that uh, it was after six days if you were reading through Luke, you, you might read Luke and, and you might struggle because Luke's gospel says after eight days, about eight days, and so is that a contradiction? And, and the answer is it's no. It's it's just like if three of you, if you saw some things happening and and you and you were saying, well, it's about eight days or about six days, uh, and and so the point is, is six days is it's a week, and so it's like after a week this took place. So this is not a contradiction but about a week later Jesus took these four guys Peter James and John so Jesus had 12 disciples but several times he would take these three Peter James and John they were like the inner circle he would take them aside and do special things with them and so he took these three up on a high mountain and so here's like this mountaintop experience i don't know how many of you have ever experienced like the mountaintop like when things are going great but this is an incredible moment. And we don't know what mountain this is. It doesn't matter. It's a high mountain. Verse 2. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun. And his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. All right, let's stop here. This is incredible. So this transfigured word. This is where we would get the word like metamorphosis. So it means change. Like literally there was a change in Jesus. He was he was like this and now he's like this. There was a change that's happening. Um and it says that he became just like this bright light. His face shone like the 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 sun and his clothes were white as light. So he's he's transformed. This is like Jesus in all his glory. When he, when he left heaven to come to earth uh, and became a man, Philippians 2 reminds us that in some ways he emptied himself. Um, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. And so here there's this moment where he becomes like transfigured where he's full glory again for this very moment. And at the same time, Moses and Elijah show up. Now, what's so significant about Moses Moses and Elijah? A couple things. Moses represents the law. So he's the one who got the Ten Commandments. He gave the law to the Israelites. Elijah is a a representative of the prophets. And so here's this picture of, of you got the law and the prophets of the Old Testament. And then you got Jesus coming in. And it's this picture showing to Peter, James, and John. Jesus is the fulfillment of this old covenant. Of all of the old covenant, the law and the prophets, Jesus is that fulfillment. He is following that line of Moses and Elijah. Also, Moses and Elijah, these guys also had mountaintop experiences. Moses, he went up on the mountain, and that's where he received the Ten Commandments. While he was on the mountain, um, and that's, that's Exodus 19, Exodus 20. He receives the Ten Commandments. If you fast forward a little bit, Exodus 33 and Exodus 34, Moses has this really amazing experience with God. He, he basically asked God, he said, God, I, I, I want to see you. Um, I, I want to see you, who you are. And, and God says, there's no way. If you see me, you're going to die. But because I have fa- favor with you, Moses, I'll tell you what. I, I'll let you see me sort of. You hide yourself in the cleft of a mountain, uh, on the mountaintop, and I'm going to come through. And when I pass by, then you can look at my back, because if you looked at my face, you would die. So you can we'll at least let you see a glimpse of me. And so when Moses, so when this happens, this is Exodus uh, 33, when Moses sees God, the glory of God comes upon Moses in such a way that when Moses comes off the mountain, he's still shining. And he puts this veil over him so that he can hide so he can keep that glory as long as he can. Okay? So Moses has a mountaintop experience. Elijah has one. We mentioned this several weeks ago. Um, this is in 1 Kings uh, chapter 18. Elijah's on the mountain and uh, and and he's trying to battle these gods of, uh, of of Baal or these these people who worship Baal and um, and on the mountaintop. Uh he, he, he says, my God is the real God. Your God's fake and pretend God. And, and so let's do this test to see whose God's the real God. And so he tells them, all right, let's, let's call down fire from heaven. And, uh, and so they're, they're like, we, we agree with that. It sounds like a great idea. And so they do all these rituals and, and no fire. And they spend all day, and they're trying to get fire to come down from heaven. No fire comes down. Elijah makes an altar, pours water all over the altar, Gets more water, pours it over the altar again, does this several times, and then prays to the, the God of Israel, and God sends down fire and, and explodes the altar, and all of those people take off running in fear, and Elijah's like, yeah, like my God's the, my God's the real God, and so, and so Elijah has a mountaintop experience, and so here Jesus is with Peter, James, and John, and they, they're Jesus. Again, on the mountain, here's this, um, he's transfigured, he's in all his glory, and Moses and Elijah are there, and they're talking with him. Now, I would love to know, like, exactly all the details. Um, Luke's gospel tells us a little more of what they're talking about. It says in in Luke's gospel, Luke 9 says that, that, um, that Elijah and Moses were talking to Jesus about what he would have to face in Jerusalem. So they were there talking to him about the cross. Uh, and I don't know if it was like, hey, we know you're coming to the end. Like we're, we're like weeks away from the crucifixion here in Matthew 17. So I don't know if they were like, hey, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're cheering for you. you know, we can't wait for you back in heaven. Uh, we're, we, we know it's going to be hard. You might not want to do this. But here there is this conversation happening. I'm just like, man, that's incredible. Well, have you ever been around important people and, and you're just like out of place. I mean, think, okay, you're Peter, James, and John. You're on the mountain. And Jesus transfigured. Here's Moses and Elijah. I mean, what are you doing in that moment? Well, I love Peter. Look what, look what Peter does. Verse 4, and Peter says to Jesus. So basically, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah are talking. And Peter just wanders on over and is like, hey, like, just interrupts, like, interrupts our conversation. And listen, listen, this is what Peter says. He says to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. It's like, yeah, that's right, Peter. <laughs> if you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And, 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 I, and I, lo- I love this with Peter. Peter's just, Peter's just he's all just like, he just goes at it. He's the one who stepped out of the boat walked on water, remember when the other disciples were just, they were afraid when they saw Jesus walking on water, and and, and Peter's the one who got out of the boat, this is classic Peter, Peter just interrupts Jesus' conversation with Moses and Elijah, have you ever interrupted somebody important, like, so Peter comes over and he says, hey, I was just thinking over here, it would be really good maybe if I built some tents for you guys, and now why would Peter want to build tents? Uh, And and Moses would have got this Because Moses spoke a lot about Tabernacle language, tent language You remember Moses in the wilderness They had to move around a lot So they had this tent, this tabernacle And so Peter wanted to build Like a tent for them Meaning, hey this is really good Why don't we just make a tent so you guys don't have to leave You can just stay here We love the mountaintop And we don't ever want to go back down and we just, it'd be fine with us. We'll do all the work. We'll build the tent. But if you guys would just stay here a little bit longer. I, I think if we're just honest, like we love the mountaintop, right? We, we, love, we love when it's all just working right. And, and that's what Peter, Peter's just being honest. Like, hey, let's just stay here a little bit longer. This is good. We want to be here. But I love how God just interrupts Peter's conversation. Verse 5 he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Now, you can think of like Old Testament language. So, we got tent, tabernacle, Elijah, uh, Elijah, and Moses. Here's this bright cloud. And what do you think of Old Testament when you think of bright cloud? You think, you think of God. God showed up in the bright cloud um, when, they were in the, when they were during the Exodus, when they were wandering around in the wilderness, God would lead them with, by being this cloud. And so here this cloud shows up, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And I love how Peter's talking and God just shows up and just totally interrupts Peter. Says, You're gonna interrupt my son, let me just interrupt you. And and says, It's not gonna you're not gonna build a tent, so just be quiet. Let me speak. And I love what he says, and this, is, this is echoes, if, you, if, you've been, if you've been here since September, this should sound familiar, this is Matthew 3, when Jesus was baptized, you remember that? Jesus was baptized when he came up out of the water, um, the Father spoke, there was a voice from heaven, dove, Holy Spirit came down upon Jesus, and um, he said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased, but here he qualifies it, he says, listen to him, listen to him. It's one thing to know that who Jesus is, it's another thing to listen to him. So he's saying, this is my son. You guys, you guys need to listen to him. He knows what he's talking about. Be obedient to him. Listen to him. Uh, and and um, So imagine the response. We see that in verse 6. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and, and touched them, saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but, but Jesus only. Uh, and, and so uh, uh, it's just them, it's just him, them and Jesus cr- Crazy mountaintop experience Verse 9 though, this is the truth for all of us in, in this moment Verse 9, and, and as they were coming down the mountain I just want to pause there like they, they had to come down the mountain uh, We don't get to stay on the mountain you know, while they're on the mountain, think about this: while they're on the mountain, while Peter's there, James and John, and they're seeing the transfiguration of Christ, that he's he's in full glory, shining bright. Moses and Elijah there, and they're just like taking it in. While all that's going on the mountain, down around the mountain, there's people suffering, there's people who are hurting. As we're going to see, there's a there's a boy who's suffering, um, an epileptic. Uh, we also know there's other suffering going on and when you're on the mountain right now like there's there's suffering going on all around us and that we don't get to stay on the mountain we have to come down from the mountain uh there's still work to be done but here's what i want you to see from 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 the transfiguration i I think what this is pointing us to and why jesus allowed peter james and john to see this is is this is what's going to happen one day it's going to be forever it's going to be a permanent glorification Uh, Look at this, Philippians 3, Philippians 3, but our citizenship is in heaven, and and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, look at this, to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. That is going to happen. One day you are going to be transfigured. You are going to be shining bright. You're going to be like Jesus, I pray that just overwhelms you. I pray that's comforting to you. But notice the the language there, who will transform, right? You're going to be transformed one day. It's not happening right now. It is happening, but it hasn't happened. So we're in this process. We're becoming more and more like Jesus every day for those who have repented of their sin who have the Holy Spirit indwelling inside them, the Holy Spirit's doing a great work in your life. Earlier in Philippians, it's not on the screen, but earlier in Philippians chapter one, um, Paul says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Jesus will bring your sanctification to completion. He will glorify you. He will make you like his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, and I love I love that. Like our citizenship in verse 20 is already there. It is in heaven. Not will be one day in heaven. You are already a citizen of heaven right now. And you are being transformed all along the way. You're being transfigured to be like the glorious body of Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians says something very similar. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 18 says, and we all, with unveiled face, this is, this is referencing back to Moses, how Moses had this veil over his face to hide the glory. Now this is the idea that now that Christ is in us, we should take the veil off and let him shine. We shouldn't keep the veil on. Some of us, like, we, we, we want Jesus, but we don't want anybody to know that we are like Jesus. And so we keep a veil over us. So Paul's saying in St. Corinthians, take the veil off, let him shine. Behold, like behold the glory of the Lord, you are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, from this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So you are being transformed, and we should let that light shine, that as you begin to look more like Christ, and you know some of those people, right? They just look like Christ. Man, they're just different. They are a rock, you know, whatever comes in their life, like it just, they just can't be shaken. That's what we're talking about. They just shine. They're just different. And God's saying that we should just let that just shine. Don't hold that in. Take that veil off. Let him shine so people can see how beautiful he is. So that they go, man, what is different about that guy? What's different about that girl? I want that. So we should let our lights shine. So I think as we look back to verse 9 of Matthew 17, as we're coming down the mountain, I just want you to remember that we're all in this, in this life, there's going to be a lot of this, okay? A lot of highs and lows, a lot of mountains, a lot of valleys. Sometimes for some of us, there's going to be more valleys than mountains, just being honest. But the valley will end one day. Your mountain will come. You will all, there's going to be a day where you're going to be on the mountain forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. There'll be no more suffering, no more shame. Uh, all the brokenness you experience—and man, there's so much brokenness in this world, right? Man, I just—I just see. I just look out in the world. I look at my own my own life, my own families, and, and I just see so much brokenness. Things just don't work out right. I mean, I see so many so many children hurting. I watch that video. I mean, my my goodness, you see those children hurting, suffering, dying. You see marriages not working right. Uh, you you see you see all the addictions, whether it's drugs or pornography, whatever what, you, you name the addictions we, you know, people struggle with. There's coming a day when all that garbage, all that junk's gone. We're, we're not going to be in the valley anymore. That For those who have bowed their knee, that's so important, for those who have bowed their knee and trusted in Christ and they've surrendered, it's not about their life. They've lost their life so they can gain life. And I'm telling you, you're going to gain it. You're going to gain this incredible life where you're going to be on the mountaintop forever and ever and ever. And, 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 uh, I, I pray that like, that we see the picture that, like maybe Peter is a little bit of this with Peter. He saw Moses and Elijah. Maybe he was like, wow, that's pretty cool. There's Moses and Elijah, but really it has nothing to do with Moses and Elijah. It's about Jesus. And that it's going to be cool when we're in heaven and maybe in some way, like we'll, you'll see Moses and Elijah and, you know, some other amazing men and women of the Bible. But I pray that we don't lose focus. It really, it's about Christ that we get to see the resurrected Christ, the transfigured Christ, and we're gonna be like, man, that's awesome. Look at you, Lord Jesus. Oh, man. So, but in the meantime, we're coming down off the mountain. So as they're coming down off the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one of the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, then why do the scribes say that Uh, First, Elijah must come. He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. So a couple of times they've mentioned Elijah, and, 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 uh, and Jesus reminded them that John the Baptist was like the second coming of, John, of, uh, of Elijah. Verse 14, and when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son for he is an epileptic and he suffers terribly for often he falls into the fire and often into the water and I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. Now, this story, if you were just reading chunks, large chunks of Matthew's gospel, this might sound familiar because this sounds a lot like a lady a few chapters ago in chapter 15, there's a lady that came to Jesus, said, please heal my daughter. Um, And she was sick, and this was when she was begging, and, and disciples were like, get away, you know, you're not even a Jew. Like, why would we help you? And Jesus allows that to be a teaching moment, and, and um, where she's like, you know, even the dogs get to eat um, from, from the table. And so basically, like, even the Gentiles, you know, let us at least get something from, from the Jews. And so this is a similar kind of account, but that lady was, like, very... Um, uh, adamant like she kept going back to jesus it seemed like this guy kind of stopped short um and they basically just say "Well, just give him to jesus and so jesus seems like he's frustrated here that he's frustrated with them you know, bring him here to me and it's kind of like condescending to them and and i think here's the point again jesus is really close to being the end of his ministry he's been with them almost three whole years and he knows that when he leaves, it's all up to them to carry out this mission. And he's trying to get them to understand, like, you don't need me. Like, in the sense of, like, you guys can do this. I, I, I believe in you. And, and, I, I, and I think the point that Jesus is really wanting us to see here is that, that this mission to carry out God's plan of redemption was meant for ordinary men and women to carry it out. It was not meant for Jesus to walk around forever and do all the stuff. And, and I think sometimes um, we can kind of cling to like the paid staff of the church. We can think like, well, let, just let the pastors do that. That's what they're, you know, they have the training. They're, they're the ones who are educated. They get paid to do this. And, and, and Jesus, I think, would say to all of us, my goodness, you, you've missed it. This is the same thing that, that he was dealing with. Here in Matthew 17, he, he's saying, it's going to be ordinary men and women who are going to change this world. It, it's not going to be people up on this, this stage that's going to change Huntington. It's going to be the people in the chairs that's going to change Huntington. That, that's, that's how God made this to be. That it's you guys. That as you look around at each other, it, it's you guys. You guys are the ones that are going to change this city. It's not going to be from a sermon from up here. That's how this city is going to be changed. I'm not that great of a preacher. It's going to be from you living it out every day with somebody, helping them through their suffering. That's what's going to change somebody's life. It's not going to be a sermon. It's going to be ordinary men and women who are going to be walking with people, loving on them, letting their light shine. You guys are going to be the ones that change Huntington. If Huntington's going to be changed, it's not going to be from the people on the stage. It's going to be from the people in the pews, the chairs. And I think that's what Jesus reminds us here. That it's going to be ordinary people. Peter, James, and John, what were they? They were just some old ordinary guys. They weren't educated men. They were common. And yet they changed the world. But this moment, they were still thinking, well, I've got to give to Jesus. No, you guys do it. You guys should be able to do this. Verse 18, and Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. This is incredible. It's a little confusing, but it's at least incredible, right? It's a little confusing because, like, here Jesus rebukes them because they have a little faith. And he says that. He says, you know, they say, why can't we do this? And he, and he says, well, because you have a little faith. But then he says, he goes on to say, if you have faith of a grain of mustard seed. Now, what size is mustard seed? Big or little? Little. Well, he just said they have little faith. And now he says, well, if you just had little faith... Then you can move a mountain. Come on, what are you talking about, Jesus? This is confusing. I actually had um, Olivia buy some mustard seed. So, and I thought, man, it'd be a great illustration if I would hold up a mustard seed. But what I realized, they're so small, if I hold it up, you can't even tell what I have. That's how small they are. I have one here in my hand, and you can't even see that. There's no way. Like, it's so small. And Jesus said, if you have this. Size of faith, you can move a mountain. So what in the world is Jesus talking about? I, being from West Virginia, I totally get this now. Um, People from West Virginia, we struggle with uh, a lot. One of the things we struggle with is just like, because I think our country's so down upon us, like, we just want to do it ourselves. Like, we want to make, we want to we, we work hard. You know, there's this blue-collar kind of idea, like, we're going to work hard. And I think this is what Jesus is talking about here. He's not talking about the amount of their faith is, is little. He's saying that who they're putting their, ob, like, their, the object of their faith is little. They're looking at their own ability as being, you know, I'm going to do this. And, you know, I'm going to strap on, you know, I'm going to pull my boots up, and, like, I'm just going to work hard and get this done. I'm going to heal this boy. And, man, I can identify with this. This is so much of, like, my problems. Like, I think one of my failures to you as a pastor is I think that I can work harder and change Huntington. And so I'm going to get up earlier. I'm going to read more Scripture. I'm going to memorize more Scripture. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. So then like when things happen, when the mountain moves, guess who gets the glory? Me. Look at what I did. It's about my faith. And I think this is what's going on here, that that it's about the disciples. The disciples made it about them. Why can't we do this miracle? Why can't we help this kid? And they made it about them. And Jesus said, no, you can have a little bit of faith, mustard seed sized faith, but if you take that mustard seed side, mustard seed side, size, faith, and put it on me, the Lord Jesus, then you can move a mountain because nothing's impossible for me. And so for us, it's this idea of like we've got to stop trying to work harder in our own, like let me, let me get more, you know, I'm a man of faith, look what I can do. And and try to get more faith. Because I I remember reading this years ago as a new believer thinking, like, I'm going to move the mountain out there. And if that mountain doesn't move, whose fault is it? It's my fault because I don't have enough faith. So let me go work harder and get more faith so that I can move that mountain. And I just made the whole thing about me. God's nowhere in that. And that's what they're doing. They're making it all about them. How can I heal this child? And so many of us, we have so much of a Christianity that's so much about you. That, that yeah, maybe Jesus, you needed him to be your savior. But it's up to you. You, you really like, you work hard just so you can keep your salvation. That's, that's what you think. You think, man, I gotta really work hard and I can do all these things. So that, you know I can say the right prayers and do the right things. And, so that the Lord will honor me. Man, it's really just, who are you putting your faith? Who's the object of that faith? It's Jesus. And when we put everything onto Jesus, again, it's going back to a few weeks ago when we talked about prayer, and I held up that little uh, walkie talkie. I said, You guys, you realize Jesus wants us to fulfill the Great Commission. Jesus wants us to reach the city. Do, do you believe that? I mean, d- do you? Yeah, I see some of you nodding. Some of you don't care. Maybe, I don't know. Like, Jesus wants us to, Jesus loves your neighbor. He loves the people on your street. He loves the people you work with. Even the ones that you don't really like very much, Jesus loves that person. And he wants us to reach them. And he's gonna give us everything that we need to make that happen. So that's why, like, prayer is like that walkie-talkie. That whatever we need, think of like, in military times, that general is going to give his, everything he can to his troops to make sure they can complete that mission. That's what Jesus is doing with us. If you need something, if that mountain needs to be moved to get that mission done, guess what he's going to do? He's going to move that mountain. I really believe that. Whatever he needs to do, he'll do it. And so that's why you see all these promises in Scripture and they seem crazy, like when Jesus says, whatever you need, whatever you want, a- ask in my name, and I'll give it to you. And You read that, and you're like, wait, really? You start praying for a car, start praying for a, a girl or a guy, and like, Jesus doesn't give them to you. And you're like, that verse is lying. And no, he's not lying. He's basically saying, you don't need those things to fulfill my mission. Whatever you need to complete my mission, not your mission, my mission, ask in my name, and it will be given to you. So that's what's going on here. He's saying, you, have, you can have a size faith of a mustard seed. But if, if you put that mustard seed towards me, the object, Jesus, I can move anything. I'll, I'll do it. I mean, think about who he is, and that's why it's transition, I love this. Verse 22, as they were gathering in Galilee, so there's movement here, now they're in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day, and they were greatly uh, distressed. If you notice, as we get closer to the cross, Jesus begins to speak more frequently about the cross. He doesn't talk a lot about the crucifixion early. But as he gets closer, man, he's just really preparing them. Hey, guys, I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to die. And, uh, and, and here he even says, he says, they're going to kill me. And he says, I'm going to be raised on the third day. And then, and then look at this. this says, they were greatly distressed. So they were greatly distressed from that statement that he just made, where they're going to kill him, and he's going to be raised on the third day. What part of that sentence are they focused on? I mean, look at that. What are they focused on? The, he, says, he says, listen, uh, the, the Son of Man, I'm going to be handed over and be delivered into the hands of men. They're going to kill me, and, and, and then uh, I'm gonna be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. So, what are they focused on? They're focusing on the fact that he's going to be killed. You know, they're not even like the whole part of him being raised from the dead is like not even there. They're just focused on the fact that he's going to die. And this is all because, again, like, they still don't get it. And I think I I'll, I'll, i think I know I'd be the same way because we're all on this side of the crucifixion. We know what happens. But on that side, what are they so focused on? They, they want the Messiah to be this earthly, you know, uh, reign. They, they want him to come in, get rid of Rome, uh, and they want to set up this earthly rule and where Israel's back to being like this worldly leader again. And that was not Jesus' plan. Jesus was not, he did not come back. He did not come as a man to, to make Israel just into this military great power, which is what they thought he was going to be. So they're, you know, they're distressed because he was going to die. But he says, I'm going to be raised on the third day. They don't, just totally over them. Verse 24, um, when they came to Capernaum, so this is Peter's hometown, the collectors of the two uh, drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? All right, let me just give you a little practical thing here. When somebody comes to you and, and speaks on behalf of someone else, uh, let me just give you a very practical way to handle this. So, so basically, let's you know, put ourselves in Peter's shoes. These collectors come up to Peter and, uh, and they say, does your teacher not pay the tax? This is what Peter should have said. Uh, well, what did Jesus say? What did my teacher say to you when you talked to him? All right? That's so important. so, like, my, like, the context for us would be someone comes to you. This is, this is how it keeps, like, gossip na- narrowed down. Um, so someone comes to you and they say, hey, like, um, do you... I don't agree with how Adam taught this, or I don't agree with how Adam said this or Adam's leadership in this. Um, your response should be, what did Adam say when you talked to him about this? Does that make sense? Uh, that keeps gossip down instead of you guys talking about what Adam, what you think Adam might say, which is what is going on here, right? Um, Peter, so like these collectors are coming to Peter and saying, hey, what, you know, does, does your teacher not pay the tax? Uh, and so they're having a conversation about the teacher where Peter could have just said, won't you just go ask the teacher? Won't you go ask Jesus yourself? And that keeps gossip down. So in the church, you guys get to help that. And I think a lot of times people are just being curious. I don't think they're, being, they're trying to be gossipers or slanders. But this is the way that I, I, as we get to Matthew 18 um, next week, it's going to be a great way that we keep down just, um sin in the church is when someone comes to you about someone um you know hey i heard so and so did this you know what do you think well what did you what did they say when you went to them and talked to them well i haven't talked to them yet well i feel like you should probably go talk to them before we have this conversation you see you see where i'm coming from and so they come to peter and so peter um verse 25 he says he says yes he does he 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 does pay the tax and and when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you, th- what do you think, Simon, from whom uh, do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, from others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. And, and so basically he's saying, um, you know, if, if there's a king... And the king is going to put a tax on the people, and the king had a son. Do you think the son would have to pay the tax? Well, probably not. Would the son have to pay the tax, or the other people? And so Peter says, "Well, the other people would have to pay the tax. Probably not the son." And she's saying, "Exactly. That's I am. I am that son. I am. You know, my father's like this king, so uh, I don't have to pay that. I don't have to pay that tax." But verse twenty-seven, I love this. He says. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them um, for me and for yourself. Now, this is a crazy story. This is, um, out of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this is the only one where this little miracle is happening um, if you think about this, why is, maybe why does Matthew bring up this idea of tax? Well, Matthew was a tax collector himself, so maybe the whole story of taxes would stick with Matthew more than it would Mark and Luke. And so here he's saying, hey, I, I don't have to pay this tax, but I, but I will. And so the, the, the two drachma tax, this is, 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 is important. So this was two drachma is a half a shekel. And this would be something. This was from. This was an Old Testament tax. This was not a Roman tax. This was a Jewish tax. And every year the Jews would have to pay this. And this would go to the temple, so that the temple could have, um, you know, upkeep, any kind of um, you know furnishings that would need to be hap- like would take take place for the temple. This tax would be for that. And so Jesus is saying, "Hey, I already said that I am the temple." that's just a building, I'm the temple, I don't have to pay that, but I will because I don't want to cause a stink, and I think this is important for us, like whole like primary and secondary issues, like we need to get along and agree with primary issues, but there are secondary and tertiary issues that we're probably going to disagree on, um, that, that even Jesus says, I don't agree with that, but I'm going to, uh, just to keep peace, I'm going to go along with it. I think, I think he models something beautiful for us. That we don't have to get along with every, we don't have to agree with every single thing in the church. There are some key things that we need to, but there are other things that might not. Things like, um, you know, uh, the structure of the service. Like, that's no, like, we don't have to, you know, the, the song selections. Like, we don't, you don't have to all agree on those. Or having church at 10 o'clock instead of 11. Or not having Sunday school, as opposed to small groups. But um, for minor things, like, like those things, like we just need to agree and, and not cause disunity. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's not causing disunity. And then he does this incredible, like, he says to go, cast a hook, take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you will find a shackle. So you remember the two drachma tax. two drachma is, half a shekel's worth. And so you're going to find in this fish enough to pay for Jesus and for Peter. I just want you to think about what has to happen for, for this miracle. Now, notice it's written in a way that we don't really see it happening. It's just Jesus says to go do it. There's an assumption that Peter actually does this. But think about what had to happen for this to actually happen. Some guy had to be walking around the sea or coming off the boat and drop a shekel into the water, okay? And then, while that shekel's coming down in the water, some random fish, random, right, fish, came over, ate the shekel, okay? And not die from it, all right? (laughs) Swim around. At some other point in time, uh, when a man's hook, Peter, is in the water, that this same fish with the, same, you know, with the shekel in it would have to come over to the hook before another fish would and bite the hook for Peter to pull it out. I mean, think about what Jesus can do. This is going back to, oh, you of little faith. When you think about in your life right now, all the things you're worried about, all the anxiety that you have about things that maybe this week you've got some things going on, we're into tax season. Some of you are fretting about paying bills or how you're going to do this. You're worried about singleness. You're worried about something. You know, we are a worried group of people, aren't we? And that worryness leads to things like depression. And I want you to think about who the God is that has got over your life. Whose, whose hand are you in this morning? Are you in some other God's hand who can't care for you? Or are you in the same God's hand that can have a man drop a shekel, have a shekel be swallowed by a fish, have that fish also go be enticed by a hook where Peter can catch it and pay for Jesus and himself? That's the God of the Bible. That's the God you bow your knee to when you say, Lord Jesus, I want to follow you. Isn't that amazing? Why do we worry about anything? Sometimes I just want to punch myself in the face. I really do. Like, I get, like, I'm just a big baby. I get worried, I get anxious, terrified of things. I'm, I'm afraid to tell people about Jesus, that they're going to, like, think, poorly of me or I'm going to lose their approval and I'm like why do I care about this like look at my God look at what he can do let me just run with boldness this week let me live on mission let me trust that that fish out there whatever I need to like for Peter whatever I need Jesus is going to provide it for me this week there's a fish out there waiting for you Somewhere, whatever you need, he's going to provide so that you can fulfill your mission. As we move to the Lord's Supper this morning, which I love that we get to take the Lord's Supper, we get to reflect on his death, burial, and resurrection, we look at this... fish could he not I'm guessing the answer is yes he had a shekel in there somehow he could have had two drachma and yet there's a shekel and I love that Jesus says take that and give it to them for me and for yourself and I think this is a beautiful picture of his death burial and resurrection this is a beautiful picture of the gospel this is what he does for us that inside this fish was a payment For Peter. That Peter owed a debt to the temple. And Jesus says. Hey Peter. I I got this for you. You don't have to pay anything. I will pay on your behalf. And this is a beautiful picture. Of what the cross is for us. That Jesus looks at us. And he goes. There's no way any of you could ever pay your debt off. There's no way. You are too wretched. The wrath of God is upon you. And all your good works are like filthy rags to me. And the harder we work, the deeper we dig into debt. And, uh, and Jesus says, listen, I love you so much. I'm going to come to this earth, and, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take on your debt. When I die on the cross, it should be you dying on the cross, but I'm going to die in your place so that you can have life. I'm going to pay your price. Just as Jesus paid Peter's temple price that day, he pays your price to the Father for your salvation. Isn't that beautiful? What Jesus has done for us has nothing to do with you. He just says, hey, I'll do it for you. I'm gonna do everything that's needed. Now, Peter doesn't have to go out and he has to catch the fish. And there is this part where we do need to bow down. We do need to repent of our sin. But Jesus has already made everything possible for us. And so this morning, if you've repented of your sin, if, if you've confessed that Jesus Christ is your Lord, that you've that you trusted in the table, and the table means that the bread represents his body that was broken for you, and the cup represents his blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sin. If, you're tr- if you've trusted in that, there's no way I could be good enough to pull this off, but I'm trusting in what you've done, that you've died for me, that your blood was shed for me. If you've trusted in Him, then we invite you to be a part uh, of the Lord's Supper this morning. And so, in a, in a moment, you'll be able to come. Uh, if you're new here with us, uh, if, if you are a follower of Christ, you don't have to be a member of this church, but if you're a follower of Christ, you can take the Lord's Supper with us. Both stations are the same. You'll come and you'll just take a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup, and then you'll just eat the bread. And it represents. Like you're just embracing this truth of Christ. You're remembering. This is a time of remembrance, what he has done for you. That the gospel is still at work in your life. We need the gospel to help us when when we're like worried, anxious, we think about this table. Think about what he's done for us. Um, That one day we're going to be glorified because of this table. We're not going to worry anymore. We're not going to have any more suffering because of what he's done for us. Now, if you've never repented of your sin, if you've never confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, we ask that you do not take of the table. It's very dangerous for you, Scripture says. But while you sit there, I want you to think about why, why, why you haven't bowed down to Jesus. I mean, what's, what's keeping you this morning? Today is the day of salvation, Scripture says. You can be saved today. And all, all you have to do is repent, which means turn from your ways Stop trying to live life for you, that you give your life to Jesus. That you repent, that you turn from your sin, that you put your trust in Jesus, that Jesus died for all of your sin. If that's you, you can be saved today. Today can be the most important day of your life. So if you've, if you've never done that, I'm just going to be right in the back. And, and, and I would love to talk to you. I would love to pray with you about how to receive Jesus as your Savior today. So I'll be right in the back to explain more of that. Um, but if, if, if you've never repented, then I pray that right now you're just praying like, wh- why? What's holding me back? Is it, is it just you're afraid of like people going to make fun of you? Man, forget them. One, one day you're all, we're all going to die and nobody's going to be laughing then. It's going to be a very serious moment. So don't worry about what other people think of you. What does Jesus think of you? Who are you to Jesus? So I'm going to pray, and and, and you come, take a Lord's Supper whenever you are ready. Uh, Lord Jesus, we come to you thankful for the table, that you were willing to go the cross, that your body was broken for us, that your blood was shed for the forgiveness of sin. And Lord Jesus, we come this morning just remembering what you've done for us. May we never forget that day that you made it possible for us to never have any, any more suffering, no more pain, no more sorrow, that we get to be on the mountain forever and ever and ever. And I I, I don't care about finding Moses and Elijah. I want to find you. just want to fall at your feet and thank you. And, and Lord, I pray right now you just Convict our hearts that we would repent of any sin that needs to be confessed for those of us who follow you who, who love you we still like we still need to con- we need to be people of confession we need to confess our sins so may we just right now just may we just be confessing our sin to you before we take up the cup and Lord for those who you know in this room right now who have never bowed their knee to you may Lord you just convict them of their sin may they have no joy in their hearts right now. May they be miserable. May they be squirming in their chair right now. Lord, I pray that they would only find joy in you. And may they repent today. May they trust in you. Lord, thank you for this church. Lord, help us to live on mission this week. That You didn't have to keep walking around on this earth to get the mission done. You could go back to heaven. Send your Holy Spirit. And he will be the one who empowers us, Lord. So we pray, Lord, that that we would put our faith in you, that our little faith, our mustard seed size faith, we'll be able to move the mountains here in Huntington. That all these large things, that are too big for us, Lord, they're not too big for you. All the addictions, all the marital strife, all the things we just think, man, there's no way like this is ever going to get better. Lord, those are just mountains you can move. So may we put our faith in you, Lord. and pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.